Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dender and shortly, and of course, our former ITN journal turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. So as we flagged last week, this week marks a change up for box to box as we begin a new format and start putting out a lot more football content. The show itself will largely run with the same format, but presented in what we think is a more streamlined format. But each week we'll be dropping two additional podcasts with stoppage time split out as a standalone and a special weekly feature interview called Offside, which we'll let you know a little more about towards the end of the show. But first up, the Australia Cup semi-finals. We've already seen one cup set to set a history-making final with the New South Wales NPL giant killer Sydney United 58 knocking off the A-League's Brisbane Roar at Adenza Park to become the first National Premier League club to make the final. Their opponent awaits and will be decided on Wednesday night as the Oakley Cannons from the Victorian NPL take on Dwight York's MacArthur Bulls. Fresh off a 5-0 thumping of the Premier South Melbourne, the Cannons will be primed and ready to explode to join their New South Wales counterparts in what would be a special all-NPL final and the perfect advertisement for a B-League to talk to us about his club's hopes. Very soon, Oakley President Stan Papianeros will join us to kick off the show. After that, the news with... Willem and the latest on the Socceroos and Matildas. Then, after last week's show dropped, we'd no sooner put down our mics after speculating on Thomas Tuchel's replacement at Stamford Bridge than Graham Potter was announced as the new Chelsea manager. Can the former Seagulls gaffer step up to become a voice of stability at a club famous for both success and instability at the same time? We'll have to wait and see, but a man who is all over it is the Athletics scribe on the beach, Liam Toomey, who will help us make some sense of what went on and where to from here. So, Edge, we're kicking off a new era which we hope our listeners enjoy. You ready to go, mate? Yeah, I'm ready to go. And I just want to reflect a little bit. Just I know Stan's waiting on the line and he'll join us in a moment. But um, I actually think this weekend is a, a week, a very pivotal weekend in the um, weight of evidence that is starting to mount behind the significance of a future B-League because we've had Sydney United 58 do the job on Brisbane and we've got Oakley uh, welcoming MacArthur Uh, on Wednesday night, and we are seeing the gap narrow um, as these A-League teams are having financial challenges. um, They're spending less on players. The gap is narrowing, and some of these big traditional former NSL and great community clubs that have great motivation, emotion, and energy, I just sense the scales are starting to tip, and maybe, just maybe, the weight of public opinion might, might actually ratify a future and a future pathway for community clubs to get back to the top of the pyramid. I think back six years ago, we spoke about a national second division on our first Mm -hmm. show, and we still have that romantic vision of the pyramid joining up and uh, teams like Oakley and Sydney United going all the way to the top of the pyramid, Rob. Yeah, we hope you're right, Edge. And Willem, you're a big fan of the MPL as it is you get there often, mate. So, um, you know, you're... uh, your views on that? No, I think Michael's right. At Denzer Park, you only had to have a look at uh, at, the, at the sun shining and the stands packed, not only on the uh, on the far side but the broadcast side as well. Uh, and the gap on the field is, is closed as well. 
Sydney United certainly didn't seem to flag at any point and they actually seemed to have the better of the last uh, little while despite the A-League guys being primed to go uh, when their season kicks off in a little while. So as you say, Rob, uh, it's all about the MPL level at the minute. So let's jump to uh, jump to Stan and, and find out how they're tracking ahead of Wednesday. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Oakley President Stan Papianeris, he's uh, the head of the club. He's pumped up and, and very excited. And uh, Stan, welcome to Box to Box. It must be very exciting down at Jack Edwards Reserve right now. We're in a, a great position. We obviously won the Premiership yesterday against South and we're headed for a big day in a couple of days against MacArthur. So it's uh, the biggest stage that Oakley's had so far in its 50-year uh, lifespan. This is our 50-year anniversary as a football club. Uh, so it's great timing. Stan, it's been a story that's built over the past month and word is getting out within the local community. Uh, Jack Edwards Reserve in your game against Brisbane City had 650 through the gate. A fortnight ago, it was against Sydney FC, up to 2,100. What's the capacity of your uh, of your ground there and how many are you expecting uh, on Wednesday night to host the Bulls? Uh, look, our capacity is probably around the 5,000, 5,500. We had a practice game probably about nine or 10 years ago against Melbourne Victory where we had about Five and a half to six thousand people, uh, but five thousand is, is comfortably is comfortable with the standing and and seating that we have, and we're hoping for probably four thousand off the back of the victory yesterday. And yeah, we can only hope for a, a great result. And you've spoken previously as well that uh, as nice as the cup is, due to this sort of financial uh, weight, it's not necessarily a, a priority of your club to continue to qualify year on year. Um, if you were though to to win it and to go the whole way, could that mindset maybe change in terms of this cup now being a legacy piece for your club? You've got your names on it. You're in the history books. Might that priority change for you to uh, to always want to be there? Look, we're um, we're a club that's got some good sponsorship base. So it's not a matter of, it's not financially beneficial to to qualify and get through to the quarterfinals and semifinals where you're hosting the A-League teams. Irrespective of the cost, we do want to qualify. It is a, a great legacy issue. It's a bit of a bragging rights and it's great for the club as a whole. So basically all the junior, all, all, the, all our junior structure, all the sponsors, for everyone around to have, to, to be competing against the top tier opposition and, and beating them. So we'll, we do, it, it, there is a cost involved and the financial, um, I suppose the financial part of it compared to playing a, a Premier League team is not great. Uh, but still, it's um, bragging rights. It's, it's good for our exposure. You've been far too serious. You've just belted uh, South Melbourne, the great rivals from the other end of Danny Nong Road, 5-0 in the NPL Grand Final. Can you tell me, has Chris Taylor, your coach, has he cracked a smile yet? No, he, is, uh, he was extremely joyful yesterday. He was uh, full, of, full of smiles. We had a, a low-key function after the, uh, the, the game given that we've got uh, Wednesday coming up and our main celebrations will be either Wednesday or Thursday week at the at the club. But yeah, uh, Chris was uh, very joyful that all went to plan. And so he's um, he was sort of underlined again as the as the Premier League coach of uh, of the of the year. I think uh, he might have won the award, but he's uh, he's done very well. He's primed the players, and it was uh, perfect. Can you just reflect on the commitment of your club? and your club's community to um, the sustained success that you've had. And you really are riding the crest of a wave. And with Sydney United's uh, amazing result on the weekend, this is the time to dare to dream. You're in form. The boys must be a little tired. They've had an incredible workload over the last month. But can you just tell us 
what it's like to ride the quest of a wave and how proud of you are uh, you of your club's community from uh, the volunteers right through to uh, your paid staff uh, in the coaching unit, uh, your recruiters, um, your, your board, uh, the great community in the Oakley retailers, uh, the great community that support your club so much. But can you just tell us, you know, what this um, this wave has meant uh, for your club? Well, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big thing for us when uh, a lot of the whole Oakley family, which I mean is the, is the junior structure, all the volunteers, all our sponsors, a lot of them are Oakley-based, a lot of the, the, the shops in Oakley. Uh, it's a big talking point for everyone. I mean, everyone, I, I probably get 20 or 30 phone calls or texts a day about, geez, you guys are through to the semi-final. So it's a, it's a big talking point. It's Our sponsors love it that Oakley has gotten so much exposure, but it is, it's a, a culmination of a lot of hard work over years, our commitment to maintain a, a team on the park that's competitive as a, as a minimum and probably a little bit more, more competitive. We've uh, reached four... This was our fourth grand final, our fourth, our first uh, victory, and yeah, we, we lost out on the Doherty Cup uh, final a few weeks ago. But overall, we we lost the Doherty Cup final. We we won the uh, the premiership, and now we're in the semi final of the FA Cup. And it's a it's a it's a big thing for the for the whole Oakley family. It's not a uh, not a minor thing for us to, for us to qualify against position that has got salaries that are substantially above us and we, we don't have the amount of full-time footballers that they do. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, great, uh, a great success story, especially considering that we, you know, three of our best seven or eight have been injured for a, a huge part of the year. When you take that into account, it's, it's, it's monumental. And the amount of games that have been played over the last, I think, uh, 31, 31 or 32 days has been something like, uh, I think, seven... Uh, seven games, which is uh, which is amazing. Well, I will ask that question that uh, Willem wants me to ask. How many kilos of lamb are you going to sell on Wednesday night, Stan? Uh, I think there's quite a few hundred kilos have been ordered, and I think organisations already happening now for uh, for warming facilities and things like that, so people aren't aren't waiting too much to uh, get their civilities, both uh, lamb and chicken, for uh, for people who prefer chicken. So the chicken's uh, my preference. If anyone's interested. When you come to the ground on Wednesday. Yeah, well, good luck with all of that, Stan, and, and good luck on Wednesday night, mate. Uh, uh, the the romantics amongst us are, are hoping that uh, you can get the result and, and this historic uh, Australia Cup final is a, a an all NPL one between uh, between Victoria and New South Wales. Uh, what what a what an epic final that would be! But uh, you got a, a bit of work to get through before that happens, mate. So thanks for joining us on the show, Stan, and and good luck on Wednesday night. Thank you, guys. All the best. Stan Puppy Hineris, uh, our very very excited president of the Oakley Cannons. Okay, stick around. News is next, including Socceroos and Matilda's updates with Willa on Box to Box. Chemist Warehouse, great savings every day. As we always say, so big on vitamins at Chemist Warehouse right now. There's Wagner Super Bio Magnesium 100 tablets for $9.99. Derek, they'll help you relax and sleep at night time. Oh, I need some Edge magnesium. Yeah, yeah, you'd love it, Ish. Derek, you oh, have to I get some yourself some. Need to calm down. <laughs> yeah, you do. Those of us who know you, the uh, old cranky cantankerous Thomas Tuchel Edgley. Uh, save 30 5% off the everyday low prices. 45% off the recommended retail price on Blackmores. Derek, did you get your vitamin C um, last week and get rid of that cold? 
Oh, it's still lingering around, Rob, so I probably need to double up on it, but I'm, I am I am taking all the vitamins C, D, uh, and the like. Good. Buy OC 1000. Get that. 150 tablets. Now $24.99. Save 30% off the recommended retail price off Nature's Own Super B Complex. 75 tablets. $17.99. And Microgenics. Michael, this is for you. Sound A Sleep 60 Capsules. $9.99. That's better than half price. No, I think Derek needs those because he needs to catch his greyhound next time it chases down a chicken. Oh, <laughs> that was a story told off the show, but I'm sure you can imagine how it worked out for the chickens. You need to get plenty chickens. of sleep because in the morning the greyhounds chase the chickens. Mm, exactly. All right, gentlemen, as Willem sits there chuckling away. Give us warehouse. Great savings every day. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is box to box. It was great chatting to Stan Papianaris there. He was playing a little bit of a straight bat. That's just trying to keep a lid on it for a while there. I know Edge was doing his level best to to get him super excited. But uh, Edge... um, I'll tell you what, I thought he could have been a little bit more excited. They've just... They're in the semi-final FA Cup. And they've just beaten their arch rival South Melbourne. They've spanked them five nil. You reckon well, you just, Stan could have give us a bit more excitement? Yeah, yeah. And you just did what he did. He called it the FA Cup too. I mean, it was it was the of course FFA Cup and now the Australia Cup as we know. But mm. um, but Willem, before you get into your news, like I, I, Edge, you've you've been missing in action the last couple of weeks, and Willem's been holding up the an end trying to to fill those last couple of slots on the on the the plane to Qatar. Is there any room left? I mean, if well, there's someone a makes that room, latest, there's a little bit of room. There's always a little, a little bit, bit of room. Inventory, so get on to ggarmy.com and don't you miss it. It's going to be huge. It's going to be bigger than huge. It's going to be massive, Rob. We will get into the uh, into soccerism at Tilda Central uh, later in this segment. But for now, I just want to round off on the other semi-final because it was extraordinary. Sydney United have booked their place in the Australia Cup final, defeating Brisbane Raw 3-2 before over 3,000 spectators at Adenza Park. Twice, United pegged back the Raw's lead to force extra time before former Mariner and long-time United midfielder Glenn Trefiro struck the winner. Little touch with Trefiro. Roberts, again, it's clever play. Trefiro! You can see how much it means to, to our proud club. Um, you know, we have to give credit. It's, it's a team effort, and our boys have got through, you know, an average season. But when you make the final of FA Cup, everyone forgets you can't make in the league, which is a positive thing. So, boys stuck together, backroom staff, uh, everyone from bottom to top. This is huge for our club. Football Australia reserves the right to decide where the final is played and Michael are going to make a decision following that second semi between Oakley and MacArthur. Uh, this was the game that did have everything. Another penalty save from Daniel Nizic. Uh, isn't he growing in stature around the Australia game? Uh, stands were packed. Beautiful, sunny day. Uh, and if it is MacArthur who advanced beyond Oakley, uh, the final's got to be played uh, at a Denzer Park, surely. Uh, that match to be played on Saturday evening, October 1. You would hope so, but um, I think they've got a bit of an advantage there because of the surface too with them. It's an ex- for sure. it's yep. a synthetic and artificial surface, which must, and it's not a new one, so it, it plays a particular way. Uh, I think that's a bit of a home ground advantage. But if Sydney get through against McCarthy, you'd love to see it at, at uh, Sydney United's uh, Enza Park. It is a famous, famous uh, football uh, venue in Australia, 50 years of tradition, and or more than that, 70 years of tradition, and we'd want, uh, we'd want to see it packed full of Sydney United fans, and they can... Um, there's a bit of um, there's a bit of needle between Sydney United and Macarthur because a couple of key people at Macarthur are ex Sydney United 
um, people. So, yeah, I'll be interested if that was to happen. Having said that, we'd love Oakley to get through, wouldn't we? We certainly would. We would. Graham Potter's been confirmed as Chelsea's new manager, leaving Brighton to take up a five-year deal worth upwards of £50 million. Chelsea have reportedly paid Brighton £20 million in compensation, a world record for a manager, and a further £2 million for the five-member backroom team he takes with him. In a letter to Brighton fans, Potter said he hoped they'd understand that he needed to grasp this opportunity and that he was a better person and manager for his experiences with the Seagulls. On the other side of the coin, Thomas Tuchel has said he's devastated by his axing and that he was honoured to have helped them to Champions League and Club World Cup success. Rob, we're going to chat to Liam Toomey shortly, uh, but before we get there, we spoke on the last show with Derek about the sort of whole club, not just a first-team coach, but the whole club manager that Graham Potter is, and as a result, it seemed like a bit of an odd transplant that he'd go into to Chelsea, but I suppose the fact that he's taken five backroom staff with him does sort of make a little bit more sense in that regard. Will Chelsea provide him with uh, with all of that backroom support and, and, and stuff that, well, it seems obvious that a club of that stature would, when they want a manager, um, they, they're going to give him uh, the infrastructure around him. But uh, clearly they did. Clearly it was well organised. I'm interested to ask Liam to me some of those questions about uh, just how strange this was uh, ahead of time because uh, w- once it all started to play out, you, you listened to some of the podcasts and the radio content, read some of the articles, it seemed like the only person that didn't know this was going to happen was Thomas Tuchel, regardless of the result. British football is set to resume from Monday following its weekend pause as a much respect following the death of Queen Elizabeth II. National League fixtures, so the fifth tier onwards, will recommence from the 12th, while it's strongly expected the EFL's midweek fixtures will go ahead from the 14th. And in the absence of the Premier League and, and English football, there was certainly attention to uh, to other top European leagues where they might not have otherwise been over the weekend and uh, my eyes ticked over to Germany where Union Berlin top German football for the first time in their 56 year history they've moved past Freiburg with a 1-0 win over Cologne based in Kopernik formerly East Germany. Club supporters share, or they did at the time, shared a largely anti-Stasi sentiment and today share similar anti-establishment views to that of uh, St. Pauli across in Hamburg. This is just their third Bundesliga campaign. They're also playing in the Europa League, having finished seventh under Urs Fischer uh, last season. Elsewhere, after six matches, Bayern Munich have slipped to third following a two-all draw with Stuttgart, while RB Leipzig enjoyed their new manager bounce under Marco Rose with a 3-0 win over Dortmund. And that is, of course, notable uh, given they are in Celtic's group in the Champions League for Australian audiences. Let's take over now to Socceroos and Matildas Central. Michael, the Matildas are going to meet South Africa in a friendly in London on October 8. Football Australia have, and I quote, say this is part of a carefully and deliberately constructed program of friendlies to ensure the team is afforded a diverse range of opponents. The Banyana Banyana uh, won their first WAFCON in July. Uh, this meeting is going to be the first time the Matildas have met America, or rather African opposition outside of a World Cup or Olympic game. So, Edge, we, uh, we we picked through the Matildas' results against Canada with Joe in the last program. Uh, you weren't here. You were up in Sydney, though, uh, to watch the match live. So what are your quick assessments of where the Matildas are at presently? If you're a Matildas player or a backroom staff member, the pressure's on, baby. Uh, it doesn't get any bigger than this. You've got to get better. You've got to get to winning some games. We've got to get more of the frontliners on the field. Some of the selection challenges you spoke about last week, um, that needs to be cleared out. And... Uh, Tony Gustafsson needs to roll up the sleeves and get in amongst it because um, this uh, preparation not going so well. Well, Ed, you, you weren't with us last week and you, you listened to the show and you heard some of our comments. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, Joey Lynch is a great analyst. Um, he, uh, he he digs really deep. Um, we uh, we heard views from him that pretty much align with what you just said. Um, I've got a big concern that the leadership of the team 
um, is is uh, not what it could be under Sam Kerr. I know I've expressed that on this show and to you in the past. Um, I just wonder whether that's the cir- the circuit breaker that we need. Just let Sam play football uh, and be Sam, the superstar, world class, best women's player there is in the game, or pretty much close to it. And and let somebody who who wants to take on the load that that comes with being the captain be the captain. Uh, look, we're under banned at the moment. We've got a couple of frontliners not in the team at all at the moment. Yeah, but Canada were in the same boat. Yeah, I know, but I think they're more significant for us. Uh, and at the moment, um, I think one of the challenges Tony Gustafsson and Mel Andretta have is that we're very easy to defend against at the moment because we're lacking quality other than Samantha in the final third, which means we're very predictable. We're looking for Samantha a lot of the time and they really need to get that sorted out. That's a big, big problem for the team. Not to mention the lack of uh, defenders available at the moment because of injury. But um, yeah, look, the problems uh, are fairly obvious. They're they're pretty uh, significant and, um, you know, they're not going to be resolved anytime soon. Um, so, yeah, look, plenty of games to come up. We'll see how Tony goes. We'll see what he can uh, muster and uh, and get the team uh, in some sort of shape because we need to get this Matilda's team out of the group and they need to get past the round of 16 for this tournament to have the legacy and impact that we all want it to have. Things are warming up for the Socceroos as well. We're less than a fortnight away from those dual friendlies against New Zealand and the squad is going to be announced this Wednesday. Uh, two gents who probably aren't going to be in that squad uh, but have found new clubs, uh, Mas Luongo and Tom Rogic. Luongo is going to go to Middlesbrough. He signed there until the end of January. So uh, that's great news. He's been without a club since leaving Sheffield Wednesday at the end of last season. So a bit of a long shot, uh, but you just never know. Uh, Tom Rogic as well also looks to have signed up a, uh, a contract or sealed a contract with West Brom. Uh, they sit 16th in the championship. Uh, and as I say, Michael, it isn't, it isn't too late. I mean, it might seem late in terms of the European season and they're going to have to get in there, get fit and bet in. But the A-League guys haven't started yet either considering the uh, the selection race uh, for the World Cup. So, uh, yeah, not too late. Well, if there's a bolter in all of the uh, fringe players of the Socceroos, it's got to be Massimo Luongo um, because we know his quality and he's probably playing uh, in a position that uh, we can use uh, that type of person. So let's watch him closely. And I've got a good feeling about Tommy Rogic, Willem. I've got a very good feeling about Tommy. I think he's going to be on the plane. I think he'll be there and I think he'll be a big player in our team. Don't worry about that. I've got a good feeling about Tommy Rogic. Cracking header for Jackson Irvine this week. Uh, that earned St. Paulie a one-all draw with Sandhausen, and he was in the uh, the captain's armband as well. Well done to Al Mobil, who saw 20 minutes off the bench against Barcelona for Cadiz. Uh, that is a bucket list item, I'm sure, for any professional footballer out there. Uh, to Japan, Yokohama had a 1-0 win over Avispa Fukuoka. Seven games to go, three-point lead. So we will uh, time with our friends of the Asian game uh, over the next few weeks and drill down on that story because that's going to be massive if Muskie and the team can get the job done. Uh, and a shout out to finish Rob to Thomas Deng. Bit of a forgotten man in Australian football, but since he's been fit, he's played all five games for Alberex Nigata, 90 minutes in each, and they sit top of the J2. Liam Toomey from The Athletic. He's going to talk oh, Chelsea. Chelsea, what's going on there, Rob? I know, I know. It just was bizarre. Thomas Tuchel, talk about rap- when, you, when you're busy and you sort of uh, cop the Athletic news feed and you go, what? Thomas mm-hmm. Tuchel, yep, given yep. the uh, lemon and raspberry, Rob. 
Yep, exactly what the Tijuana was, some might call it. Liam Toomey from The Athletic with Derek back in the hot seat next on Box to Box. We love cooking and eating on this show and our friends at Hoyt's Herbs and Spices are always on hand for tips like and advice. Hoyt's curry, Rob. I Do feel you? like a Hoyt's curry. I'm well, hungry. I've got one for you. Curried cauliflower and sweet potato fritters. You just need your cauliflower, capsicum, oh, potato, look at, look at sweet potato, yeah, green onions, plain flour, milk, eggs, some oil, Greek yogurt, and mango chutney. And the one spice you need is Hoyt's curry powder. I know it's simple and it probably isn't an anathema to Derek because you love your garam masala, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do like all the different ones. But, yeah, that sounds like a classic curry to me, Rob. Just a basic curry. So if you're listening and you're thinking I'm talking too quick, well, just press pause, rewind, and listen to the ingredients. You'll know how to make it. It sounds fantastic. Remember to refill any of your empty spice jars. It's with pretty Hoyt's easy, Rob. Packs. You only need the Hoyt's curry powder. Forget the garam masala. Forget exactly. sort of mixing it all together. Just get the Hoyt's curry powder, and away you go, brother. It'll make a curry just go down beautifully. You'll be happy with Hoyt's at Coles or worse and all good independent supermarkets. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, 16 months after leading Chelsea to Champions League glory, Thomas Tuchel returned to Stamford Bridge from last week's humiliation at the hands of Dinamo Zagreb in that same competition with no inkling that his 100th match as Chelsea head coach would also be his last. Instead of addressing down his players, instead of dressing down his players as the famously cantankerous manager would likely have done, he was instead summoned to a conference call and relieved of his duties. Unlike the old days of Roman Abramovich, whose skills as executioner of his managers were akin to a thief in the night, under Todd Bowley, this was closer to an Ocean's Eleven operation and a man who's had a front row seat is the Athletics. And we welcome him back to the show. How are you, Liam? Been quite a week or so. <laughs> that sure has, mate. I mean, uh, did, did I do, draw too long a bow with my analogy? There, I mean, uh, Roman was known to have the sort of a the, the stiletto knife ready to plunge um, at a moment's notice, but this one under Bowley seems to have been a, uh, a quite a stage managed operation. Very much in in tune with recent Chelsea history, I would say, in terms of the ruthlessness of it. Um, and yeah, you're right in saying that this that th- this was very much planned. Um, that was the impression that Tuchel came away from from the conference call that he was summoned to uh, with that, that, that this had been not a, not an impulsive decision from the ownership. And we, we found out in the course of putting our big um, Tuchel sacking read together late last week that they'd been monitoring Graham Potter for several weeks and that they, they already knew quite a lot about him when Chelsea signed Mark Cucurea from Brighton. So they'd done plenty of due diligence and, you know, when they were talking about evaluating every aspect of the club over these first hundred days, um, I think maybe not enough of us realised that they, that also meant the head coach was under scrutiny and uh, and Tuchel wasn't, given all the problems behind the scenes, Tuchel, Tuchel was, was not going to get a very long leash in terms of results and performances on the pitch. And that article you talk about in The Athletic um, where you've uh, teamed with uh, Simon Johnson and, and other journos uh, on uh, on the beat at uh, Stamford Bridge summarises in several bullet points quite clearly that uh, uh, it was uh, a combination of, of elements from the players feeling isolated to uh, um, alleged slapstick moments that, um, that some of the new American ownership uh, were involved in. Yeah, so I mean you have to 
you have to bear in mind when putting this thing together that there's going to be a lot of briefing and counter briefing, especially when there are some real hurt feelings on on both sides. And um, I think we ended up w- w- with a good balance in the piece where none of the parties involved would be entirely happy with what was in there. <laughs> um, but I think it, we've we've represented the way everyone was thinking. There were certainly, you know, there there, there were certainly accusations from the from more of the Tuchel side of things um, that there were a few moments like that where the new owners betrayed their lack of knowledge of, of European football. There was one that's in the piece of them drawing up like a, a formation graphic in an early recruitment meeting and it was 4-4-3 um, with 11 outfield players, which of course could could also just be an honest mistake. Um, Chelsea denied that that happened in any case. You can see why they would anyway. Um but it's so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff like that in there. Tuchel felt frustrated, I think, under the new ownership, especially when he was constantly comparing it to what he'd walked into with Petr Cech and Marina Granovskaya, the people that had appointed him. And in the end, that tension between the club that Chelsea was when it hired him and the club that Chelsea had become by the time the decision was made to let him go uh, was unbridgeable. Um, in terms of the club that Chelsea are now, um, this is quite a big change of direction, obviously, in terms of the type and calibre, I suppose, of manager that they would traditionally go for. You know, they've obviously gone for Mourinho when he was the coming man, uh, Andreas Boas, if you want to go that far, Big Phil Scalari, um, you know, Sari, you know, and they've often gone for big name, big reputation um, foreign managers, as opposed to uh, as opposed to Eng- English managers, so to speak. Um, so, th- can you just go through how big a change it is for them to go for someone like Potter rather than sort of going overseas and looking for a, a big name coach? Yeah, I think it's a really big break. Um, I think it marks out this this new ownership group as maybe not the stereotype of the new splashy owner that a lot of people were keen to paint them as in their first summer, but understandably so given the extent of the spending. Um, they've not gone for a name. They've not gone for a guy with a long track record of winning trophies and competing at the highest level. They've gone for a coach that is essentially an investment in Graham Potter in, in potential and, and in the the kind of skills that they feel he brings to the table, his ability to to improve players, albeit a lower calibre of player generally, um, and to overachieve again with with a a smaller scale of club. Um, so it so it is a kind of an unknown really in that sense. And I th- to be honest, towards the end of the Abramovich era, you'd started seeing slightly less proven coaches get the job. Um, I think maybe because they'd exhausted all the proven coaches in <laughs> Europe after a while. I mean, Maurizio Sarri had never won anything when he came in, or certainly not at the top level. He was one of the most fashionable um, and sort of coveted coaches in Europe, but he he didn't have the trophies behind him. And of course, Frank Lampard had had just one season of experience and plus the the club legend side of it and that whole connection. But Potter is another sort of right done from all of that, I think, um, in that he's being hired as a as a pure coach for his coaching skills um and they're betting that he can kind of scale up to a club that aspires to win everything and to achieve at that level do we know how much chelsea had to fight to secure potter's services i mean it 
you know, it was a very quick appointment in the set from the from the departure to the to his arrival. But he was obviously quite comfortable at Brighton. There was obviously a lots of good things happening there as he was building his reputation did were there any assurances that Chelsea had to make uh, to him around how the club would be run or was it a sense of a big club's come knocking and he's just jumped ship I think there there, there will have been a sense of Chelsea wooing Potter as well as Potter wooing Chelsea because they've handpicked him he was always the first choice when in the weeks before Tuchel um, was going to be sacked and uh, and he turned down Tottenham in the past, so it's clear that he wasn't the type of coach that was just going to jump at the first opportunity that came calling. He he wanted to have a level of confidence um, in the people that he would be working with. He had a really close relationship with Tony Bloom and Paul Barber at, at the top of Brighton. I think he wants to work for people that he can develop that same level of um, rapport with. So when you're meeting Todd Bowley and Badadeg Bali, I think that's the that was what Potter was looking for. Um, and I think when, you know, when the owners, when the Chelsea owners were meeting him, what they were looking for was kind of reinforcement of what they'd already heard about him um, and whether he would make that impression in person in terms of the way that he tries to build a team, the way that he envisions leading a club uh, and, and managing players. So um, I think that that would have all been going on during those talks in London. In terms of the negotiation, I think it was very straightforward. Um, because Potter had a, a, a defined buyout clause in his contract. It was not the most conventional one because it was tied to um, the amount of time he had left on his contract. So it was always going to be quite a big number, but it was still a defined number. It wasn't a case of, it wasn't the Cucurea talks where, mm-hmm. you know, Todd Bowley and Paul Barber are going back and forth and, and eventually after a few days come to a, come to a figure they agree on. It was pretty quick. Um, Brighton gave permission for the talks pretty quick. And I think they had a sense as soon as Chelsea made the approach, I think they had a, had a sense that Potter was minded to go. Yeah, and we're talking to you now, um, I suppose, at a very strange time in, in the United Kingdom at the moment, uh, a time of a time of mourning. And Chelsea were looking to rush this in because they thought that uh, there was a game against Fulham that was going to happen this weekend. And of course, uh, the whole football calendar in the, in, in the UK was cancelled. That's, that's presumably worked out quite well from uh, Chelsea and Potter's point of view. It gives them a, a bit more time to... Um, to get organised, I suppose. But what what do you think to that? And also, what are the likely things that are going to be in his in-tray in terms of things he's going to have to start working on immediately at the club? Yeah, I mean, obviously, no one could have foreseen the way things have gone since the appointment, but it, it does have the benefit of giving him some time on the training pitch. And that's the thing that was going to be most limited in these first few months because September was really the only opportunity for him to to try and implement any sort of tactical principles that he wants to do um, because from October the 1st to no- November the 12th when the season breaks up for the World Cup Chelsea got 13 games so they're playing every three days everything's going to be recovery and, and match preparation there isn't going to be a lot of time to implement anything broader than that so um, I think this does help now um, and we'll, we'll, we'll see what Potter makes of it um, but it's a uh, it's an opportunity and a, and a big challenge, I think. I think for Chelsea right now and for and for Potter, he needs to get his team comfortable at Cobham. Um, in terms of the immediate challenges, as with any new coach, you need to try and bring the squad together. I don't think it was 
you know, super divided internally, but there were certainly players that were very disaffected under Tuchel, quite a large number of them. Um, the ones who maybe weren't getting the the game time that they wanted, they didn't feel involved and invested in the, in the, in the squad success. That's always a tough challenge for any coach. But when you come in, you have the benefit as a new coach of being able to grant a clean slate, as Tuchel did when he succeeded Lampard. Um, and you can try and bring everyone in. As time goes by, it gets harder. But initially, this should be the easier bit. Um, and then he needs to find a way to tighten up the defence because that was really what did for Tuchel when he came in. He made Chelsea arguably the best defensive team in the world. Those standards really slipped over the last nine, ten months. Um, and then finally get a way to, to get a couple of these attackers at least um, looking like the best versions of themselves because that's something that Tuchel never managed to consistently do in his system. To, Potter has to find a find a tactical framework that makes sense, whether that looks similar to what Tuchel's done with the back three and wing backs. And we know Potter's played that system at Brighton. Um, we'll have to see, but he has to find something that makes sense for this group of players. Um, and of course, there, there are some new faces in the squad as well, so help them continue to assimilate and just try to hit the ground running whenever Chelsea do play their first game. And just finally, on your, your soundings of Graham Potter, there's been a lot written in the last week about his uh, personal management style as well as his style um, of football, uh, the the, uh, the structure that he uh, he likes to have in place. Um, but uh, you know, some of the uh, the patience and the the willingness to to uh, regard any spell of indifferent results as part of a process uh, are not going to be the sort of uh, uh, opportunities given to him at Chelsea. Um, he's written a letter to to the Brighton fans. It sort of seems to be an insight into the nature of the man himself. Um, you've obviously seen that letter. Um, what, what do you read from that and uh, and as an insight into to the, the man that will uh, arrive or already has arrived at Stanford Bridge? He's almost apologising for his ambition, isn't he? Mm, mm. <laughs> He's like, I'm sorry I had to leave, but I did have to leave. Um, yeah, I think it was a very decent thing to do. It was it was a nod to the connection that he'd built there, not just with the people at the club, with the players, but the bond that he'd had with the fans. And I know, I know it was reported a little bit last season and it became a little bit of a thing that fans were booing when they weren't scoring goals and drawing games and he had a little bit of a bite back at them. But that seems to have been very much the exception of Potter's time at Brighton. I think that the fans have been very much behind him and what he's been trying to do. Um, and he's helped, he's really helped build that relationship as well. I think that's something he needs to do at Chelsea. He needs to get the fans on side. I don't think they will hold it against him that Tuchel is gone because that's not the way Chelsea fans typically um, operate. They're very used to managers getting sacked at this point. And, and even if there is a lot of affection and a lot, uh, for Tuchel still and a lot of disappointment that he's gone but that won't be something that lingers for Potter I think they're, they're willing to give him a chance and, and see what he can do um, as for the time that will really come from the club this is the big test now because they've they've hired a, a sort of they've hired a long-term manager given him a long-term contract um, they now need to be prepared to go long-term with this even if the short-term has some real teething problems, um, and that that will be a test because if 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 Potter ends up leaving within a year, eighteen months, that will reflect worse on the ownership than it will on Potter. I think 
because he he was brought in with a clear remit to to create to create a new culture at the club and to try and you know in the long term be the Klopp figure be the Guardiola figure and of course winning has to be part of that competing for the biggest trophies has to be part of that but there also has to be recognition that Chelsea haven't operated that way um, in any of our memories really so that it, it's not going to be a simple change it's not going to be an overnight change and at the same time the owners are still looking to uh, make other hires there's going to be a sporting director coming in at some point soon there are going to be other hires within the sporting operation around and maybe above the team that Potter has brought in so those people need to be assimilated and that and that's all part of that culture building process but Potter's job is to try and bring the players with him bring the fans with him and um, and it, it, if he does that you would think the results will follow to a degree and it's just up to the owners now to to follow through on all the all the messaging because you can't sack a Champions League winning coach um, and then judge the next guy on immediate immediate results when you've appointed him on a long-term remit Absolutely. Liam, thanks so much for joining us again, mate. Pleasure, guys. Anytime. Liam Toomey from The Athletic. Okay, after the break, uh, World Cup Corner on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Okay, this is Box to Box. And for 355 episodes... The last segment on the show has been stoppage time, but we just talked too much. And what was a stoppage time for three or four minutes has turned into 20 minutes. So stoppage time has become its own podcast. So keep an eye out on your feed. Stoppage time is going to drop in to that feed over the next couple of days. But from now on, this last, well, it'll be World Cup corner up until Qatar. And then it'll change after that, after the World Cup. But uh, Willem, you've got all the tidbits, highlights, the news that we need to talk about. Yeah, there's a few little things kicking around, Rob. Uh, the first of those is around uh, Carlos Quiros. Now, we've been covering that over the past little while, that he is back uh, despite a great record for his predecessor, uh, Dragon like Scotchy. 16 of 19 games. Uh, well, he's been given the T1 of brass as well. Uh, so, Carlos, the, uh, the boring, boring Carlos, uh, is back to lead them to a third successive World Cup. Now, Michael, you've been over uh, in Qatar more than anyone possibly around the world in the uh, in the build-up to this World Cup. And you had Iran pegged uh, as one of the excitement machines. They were going to be uh, going to be a bit of a surprise packet. Uh, do you still see that as being the case now that they've brought in the, uh, the, the curmudgeonly sturgid Carlos once again? Iran is very popular in Qatar. They are extremely close um, countries, Qatar and Iran. Um, the royal family in Qatar have um, family links into Iran uh, through marriage. Um, business is pretty strong between Iran and Qatar with the gas fields that uh, are under the Persian Gulf that uh, Qatar tap into, um, as we all know that. Um, but I can tell you this right now, there'll be thousands. There'll be more than thousands. There'll probably be tens of thousands of Iranians coming across the Doha to see them. Well, that was in. the tip we got last week from Derek's taxi driver. Did you hear that bit, Edge? I did hear that bit, and Derek's taxi driver is absolutely spot on. And I can tell you right now that Iran uh, are going to be a very, very good team at the World Cup. They're going to be very well supported, and uh, and I like them against the USA, and I like them against England. I looked at the uh, sports bet market. They are the 500 to one rank outsider for the entire tournament. It, well, it seems like whoever's framing the market um, well, isn't aware of some of these local. After the first game in their group, because mm. 
Um, I think whoever's framing the sports market, uh, you know, maybe they've never been out of uh, a Western country and they don't understand what it's like in the Middle East. And these uh, countries, they grow another leg over there. And uh, Iran are going to be very competitive. They've got a great pedigree in the World Cup against the Yanks. You wait and see about that game. That game is going to be absolutely ginormous. Qatar has officially opened its eighth and final stadium with the 80,000-seat Lusail hosting Al-Halal and Zamalek of Egypt in a friendly last Friday. Final preparations are now officially in place at the other seven with the grass selected by FIFA to be seeded from next week. That grass is Aspen Turf. Uh, They are Georgia-based in the US. David Graham of the company has said the American grass seed gives you a more robust playing surface. Uh, I'm not sure what that is more robust then, but uh, he's the man with the big job so good luck to david graham over the next couple of months getting that seed to uh seed to rise and an update on my favorite player in the history of football maybe that's an overstatement but you know where i'm coming from asamoa gian he has implored the three players who have switched their allegiances to ghana to commit beyond the world cup Stephen ambrosius Enaki williams and Tarek lamptey have uh, all come across but there are reports floating around michael that they might just lose interest uh once the uh once the the campaign is over for the black stars uh he's also revealed that he's still whiling away personally at 37 years of age uh but he's feeling a little bit unloved a little bit unappreciated by the uh the people of ghana and hasn't had any contact as yet from the national team yeah uh, that's pretty interesting well and public holidays in iran for the games we get public holiday for the queen's passing but we don't get a public holiday when the socceroos play i mean well the socceroos will be playing on that day that's right Exactly, they will be. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there you go. We'll say it's a public holiday. It's a serious football nation when you have a public holiday for your World Cup game, Rob. No, Three is. within a week. All right, boys. Hey, um, let's wrap it up there um, for our regular listeners. Um, keep an eye out on that feed of yours. Top time is going to drop He's got blonde hair, Rob. I know, he does looking good. Uh, and and the little secret that I teased off the top of the show for our, our brand new segment, Offside, how proud are we to have our very special guest, Michael? Well, Martin Tyler, I mean, we, we talk about kicking it off with royalty. It's been a big week for the mm-hmm. Royals. We've got mm-hmm. football royalty. Martin mm-hmm. Tyler is our mm-hmm. first guest on Box the Box Offside, which mm-hmm. is a deep dive into the life of a person that we love in football. And we're going to go from one end of the pitch. In fact, we're going to go from one end of the stadium to the other with uh, Martin mm-hmm. Tyler, Rob. Yeah, yeah, we sure will. We hope uh, um, that uh, that you enjoy when, that one when it pops into your feed. Um, Martin's done a lot of profile pieces over his career, but never one from from an Australian angle. And he's so dearly loved by uh, Australian football supporters that we hope we can do it justice when you do get to listen to that. So we'll wrap so it up there, boys. Australia once, Rob. Yeah, 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 amazing. Yeah, it is. Well, um, we will get him back here soon and invite him. What a goal, That's for sure. Charlie Yankos. <laughs> well, listen out for Box to Box Offside and you might hear a few references to what we've just said. Michael, thank you again. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Willem. Nice haircut, Willem. I think the blonde makes you look a little bit younger. Yeah, and for those of our listeners who, who given that this is audio based and they can't see the good looking rooster, that is young Willem. Yeah, well, the, our listeners wouldn't have a clue about that unless they personally no, know him. So, you, well, now that you've told them, yeah. Well, now that you've told them. So uh, um, why don't we stop drifting off into nothingness and wrap this ship up. Uh, well done. And I did say ship. This um, is a load of ship Willem. at the minute, yeah. yeah. Yeah, precisely. Damo, thank you for pressing the buttons and Derek for being on the show as well. Please subscribe to box to box wherever you get your podcast. Tweet us at box to box NTS. We want to start engaging some comments. So please, if you're a regular listener and you're on Twitter, at box to box NTS, and we'll start to feed some of your comments and feedback into the show. Follow us on Twitter too. 
like us on Facebook, and make sure you join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Cup.